1: We've got uh, authors. We've got revisiting
2: authors. Revisiting authors, yes. They, they actually think we're good enough to come back to. Oh, no, so I know. Look, I love wonderful. how
1: they've honed their radio skills with us. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes.
2: And As who have it. you got, Jan?
1: I have got Tanya Chamber. And welcome back, Tanya. Thank you, Jan. Your main character, Bridget, yes. seems to be living the idyllic life. Loving husband, great kids... Do anything for your neighbour in a beautiful locality. Now, where has Bridget moved to?
0: Bridget has moved from the city to a place called Raymond Island, which is, it's a real setting and it's... It's an unusual place. It's in the middle of the Gippsland Saltwater Lake system. It's a tiny island with a population of about 540. Oh, gee. Yes. And it's and, a- and is
1: that koalas or is that yeah. people? No.
0: <laughs> there are a lot of koalas. It's a koala sanctuary. So a lot of koalas but no shops or other businesses. So um, if you run out of bread or milk or, or wine... Um, you have to catch the cable ferry across to the mainland to a town called Painesville. And after the last ferry goes between about 11 and midnight, there's no way on or oh, off, off the mm. island. Yeah. She's got an interesting job. She is a scriptwriter at the local. Television station, yes.
1: Well, really, her life is messily uncomplicated, the mm-hmm. worst being koalas falling <laughs> out of the trees until the title comes into play. And What's the title of your book?
0: The title is Dead in the Water.
1: And why does this unhinge everybody?
0: Okay, well, Dead in the Water, it's um, actually a book within the book. So Dead in the mm. Water is a title of her ex-boyfriend's crime novel, and um, at the start, Bridget says nobody would call their book that, but, you know, he did. So it's, you know, it's it's a little bit of a metafiction inside, a book within the book. You know? A book
1: within the book because a body, a woman's body turns up in the water. Well, we've met Bridget before in her book, in your book, Please Don't Leave Me Here, and know that her backstory is pretty tragic. And you give us little hints of the backstory through it. But what I found is that I have read the story and I thought, oh, yeah, I remember that bit. But Mm -hmm. you don't really need to have had the backstory. But I must say it encourages you to read it.
0: Oh, good. (laughs) I was hoping that it would work as a standalone book. So if you haven't read, please don't leave me here. I think it will still work. But it would be good if you... Do read the first one first so you can, there are a few little kind of threads through it that come from Please Don't Leave Me Here.
1: And one of those occupational
0: threads through it is the work that her husband does. Aidan, what does he do? He is a detective. He's been stationed in Bairnsdale after a botched homicide investigation in the city. So now he um, is sort of relegated to lesser police duties and when the... The crime occurs. He is um, seconded to the the homicide squad from Melbourne. So they come and take over. So, you know, it's not his investigation.
1: And Aidan is also not Bridget's first husband. What happened to Sam? What happened
0: to Sam? Um, He died. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Refresh my memory, yes. No, he did. He he died early on in the first book.
1: Now, we... um there's also Laurie Hunt, who sort of is a name that kind of comes around, and, and there's always sort of a grey or black mm. feeling about her. Anyway, we know about we know both Aidan and Bridget. Bridget has had multiple injuries, as their scars and physical inabilities are described through their sex life. <laughs> <laughs> feeling the body, feeling the scars, and hmm. just being careful of the back in certain positions because there is a bit of sex in this book. You know, I think they had a very good <laughs> relationship
0: that did um, Bridget and Aidan. Yeah, so, well, you know, there are some intimate scenes in the book. Um, I think, yeah, mm. writing sex in, in fiction, in a way, it's like. Dialogue when it can reveal a lot about character and you know, subtext what's going on. Well, especially the yeah. when the
1: sex stops happening, mm, so and you know something's wrong, and so that the conversations also stop happening. Mm. So, we sort of wonder is Aiden the policeman being overprotective? You know, he wants a security system installed. He also insists on teaching uh, Bridget how to fire a gun. Mm. Now, the author of this, you, you must have actually tried one of these to sort of get the whole idea of the recharge.
0: and. Oh, yes, I did. I went and did um, a pistol course, a, a handgun shooting course at a pistol club. Now, I'm normally a very cautious, nervous person, so it was something I really, really didn't want to do. But, you know, I went along and it anybody can go and do one of these courses if you don't have a police record. So, you know, I thought, how dangerous could it be? And then our instructors came in and one has his arm in a sling, one has, you know, <laughs> his leg missing below the knee. And they tell us all about these safety equipment, like special um, earmuffs. So yeah. gunshots are louder than jet engines so they can cause permanent hearing damage, yes. And special safety glasses in case shrapnel comes back and hits you in the eye. And there was one thing about um never crossing your thumbs behind the slide on a semi automatic pistol and that's the thing on top that flies back with a recoil of each shot. And I put up my hand and asked, you know, well, why could it break your thumb? And they've gone, No, it could slice it right off So Yeah. Yes. But I
1: must say when Bridget was learning about it. I did too. So,
0: think, <laughs> you know,
1: it felt, oh, yeah, they, they don't do it like that on tally. But you know, this,
0: is, this is a well-researched writer, I think. Yes, I, th- I always call myself a method writer, so I didn't think I could actually do that, write that scene without having felt how it felt to shoot a gun myself. Mm. No, mm. That, was, that was good writing.
1: Also, the Aiden becomes very suspicious all jealous of the next-door neighbour, Harry, who's just been such an important part of the family. Mm. And this is, towards the end of the story, we realise just how isolated she is Mm. and the ferry being the only, or the
0: cable car being the only connection to town. So who is Jeremy? Jeremy is the ferry operator on the island and Mm. I was just talking about a funny story before about the the ferryman's name. When I um, was looking into this, I started researching my relatives because I do have relatives who lived on the on Raymond Island, and I came across these old photos. and In one of the photos, there was my grandfather and my grandmother, which is beautiful to find. This was on the internet. Holding my grandfather's holding my mother, and they were with the the ferryman. and His name, his surname was Williams, which kind of freaked me out and I thought oh maybe I should have googled that before I wrote that.
1: Well this is this is an explanation f- uh, from Tanya Chandler's book about Jeremy. He looked like one of those sporty dads who coached the soccer team, uh, chaired the parents association meetings and helped out in the canteen in his spare time. And he's very obliging. When Bridget has too much to drink on the mainland, he's the one to take her home. And Bridget drinks a lot
0: doesn't she? Um she does <laughs> yes yes especially towards you know the end of the book too, you yeah. know, to you know it's her kind of coping coping mechanism. mechanism yeah.
1: And I just wonder whether she drinks also to dull those incredible well she calls them dreams but they're really nightmares mm. that she's having. Absolutely yeah. But the book is not all sinister. Bridget does honestly befriend all of those around her, both male and female, and I think I'd better say here that she's pretty darn beautiful, isn't she, to look at? I would think so. I yeah. think so too. Yeah. I don't see a picture, but I, you know I'd just make it out by the men's and women's association with her. She even puts bait on the hook of an old fisherman on the wharf. But she is beautiful, but it's her lack of cooking skills that make for quite a lot of laughter. When she tried to cook fried fish at the farmers market, That's right, it yes. led to charred native or scorched native plants on the on four stalls down. And Tanya Chandler, <laughs> author of Dead in the Night or Dead in the Water, I'm sorry, have you ever tried cooking a
0: lobster? No, I haven't. I had to Google how to cook a lobster. <laughs> well, that bit like the guns, I thought
1: sort of sounded, it read so, I could imagine all of that happening that
0: I thought lobster cooking was in your research. No, you've caught me out there. That's one thing that I, I didn't actually try to do because they're too expensive. I couldn't afford to buy a lobster. <laughs> it's not the noise they make or <laughs> they try to escape. Oh, I have mm. um, seen
1: yabbies cooked. Oh. Through the story, too, there are themes of family Dysfunctional or otherwise And, you know, sort of like um, uh, Bridget has two 10-year-old twins and a 3-year-old But one of the twins, Phoebe, is growing up And um, Bridget's wish for her own daughter is Please don't let her be like I was
0: Mm. Phoebe's um, on the cusp of adolescence and giving her mother a hard time. And yes, Bridget's very worried that, you know, she'll end up like she was when she was young. So she tries to protect her, which, of course, usually backfires. Mm. And
1: a a philosophical question, I thought, about how we uh, celebrate death. You know, the difference between the inevitable death of a much-loved grandfather Mm. And how an untimely death of a celebrity was acknowledged. And we see this in the media all the time. What happened at the death site in the murder?
0: At the death site, um, well, it was a bit of a media circus. Mm. And um, I think there was a line in there. So I did think a lot about how the media treats these kind of things. And had it been, you know, had it been the old fisherman rather than a celebrity. You know, would we have seen all those flowers on the, the wharf the and, and the media coverage? Yeah. You know, was it was very full on.
1: Yeah, so it's either the silence or the media spin, but it's the same yes. hurt and the grief for yes. all the families.
0: And yeah, and the way the media sort of you know look at the husband as a you know the initial sub uh, suspect and you see that
1: a lot. Yeah. Now in. The book before, there was the playlist because you do mention a few songs yes. through your writing, and we had a lot of Kurt Cobain, but this one we've got Goitz, somebody I used to know, which I thought was quite <laughs> good. A book that I don't know whether um, uh, Bridget's going to finish or not Cloud Atlas.
0: Oh, yes. No, I don't think Bridget. No, Bridget never finished no. it. She left it unfinished. And a mm. writing
1: tip, and this is because Bridget <laughs> and um, the author of the book. Dead in the Water, the fictional author, met at a writing class. And uh, one, of the, one of the tips that she had from, uh, at, at uni had told her that fictional character were one third invention, one third somebody the author knew, and one third the author. So, Tanya Chandler, <laughs>
0: which is the third of you that you've brought to this book? Oh, I think Bridget is awkward and makes a lot of silly mistakes and I think I'm a little bit <laughs> like that. But I think she's more, you know, people that I've known through my life um, and, and, you know, and the rest is made up. That's actually something that my friend Graham Simpson told me once. I heard him saying that, so I used his line. I made sure it was okay that I could use I could, that. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you. <laughs>
1: And I think I had two favourite lines in the book. Well, a deathly parlour, um, the colour, the complexity. Quote, the yellow grey of pressed chicken loaf. <laughs> oh, that was the grandfather's skin when he was yeah. dying, yes. And of course, you know, around um, Gippsland Lakes, there's a lot of long roads. So you get the pate of roadkill. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, in the acknowledgements, you uh, mention the G- Jean Hurley estate. So what did you... Uh, and the house number 53, where's that?
0: That is on Raymond Island. Ah. Mm. So that, I went and stayed there while I was researching locations on the island and around there. So the house was actually owned by my great-aunt initially and I used to spend a lot of time there when I was a kid and then that passed on to Jean and now it's owned by her estate, which, you know, I don't really have that much to do with, but that would make them my second cousins. <gasps> right. So, yes. Yeah. Oh, I
1: thought it might have been a writing retreat or something.
0: Uh, sort of. When I went down there, I, yeah, it was a bit okay. of a retreat.
1: So yeah. I've been speaking with Tanya Chandler about her book, Dead in the Water, a mystery murder with a domestic drama entwined which makes very good reading. Thank you very much Tanya. Thank you Jan.
2: Well now Jan, I've got a bit of a literary scandal for you here. Have you heard of, well you've obviously heard of the Brontes. Charlotte, Emily. Charlotte, Emily, there was Anne as well. Were the novels of Emily and Charlotte born out of repression? Was Patrick Bronte, their clergyman father, a a saint or a sinner? Now, Kenneth Fox documents the life of Patrick in his new novel cassocked savage. So, Ken, welcome back to 3CR. No, David, I'm, I'm just wondering, with that title,
3: Savage, uh, you're not doing him any favours by the title. Well, it's not my uh, uh, invention. They appeared in Blackwoods magazine, which was a, uh, uh, a popular magazine and which was uh, found in the House uh, Parsonage for years and years and years. And it was a review by someone who read the biography uh, of Charlotte Bronte, uh, and the reviewer said, well, having read this biography, I would say that Patrick Bronte was a cassocked savage. Ah, now we want to get into this because
2: that's part of the, the controversy, but let's set this up a bit. Who was Patrick Bronte?
3: And Because he there were considerable achievements he had as a clergyman. Well, yes, um, longevity for one. <laughs> he was in, um, in the parish in the West Riding in Yorkshire for over 40 years in the one church and, and people did stay in churches. They were known as perpetual curates, so they couldn't be sacked. They could stay there until death. Uh, Who was he? He was an Irishman. Uh, He was born uh, in 1777 to poor, possibly illiterate parents, Uh, no money, uh, a two-roomed house. He was the first of ten children. And as he was born on St Patrick's Day, he was named Patrick. So that's quite a considerable achievement in itself to come from that poor background
2: Mm. and because he then ended up going to university and the like because of his uh, academic achievement.
3: Yes I think he was self-taught. I think there are historians who will put that case that he was self-taught. His father uh, had a library of three books uh, and he did very well as a student and he was spotted by a Presbyterian clergyman who invited him to become an assistant teacher at his school And from there, his teaching career grew. He had a few scandals in his youth, but he finished up with another uh, clergyman who was a graduate of Cambridge University. There was the
2: farmer's daughter, you mentioned.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he became the teacher at a small one-teacher school uh, and he got a bit of a crush on... He was 18 and one of his female students was 17. He got a bit of a crush on her. And when he uh, went to visit her parents, uh, he found her in the yard... With the local horse, and he took her behind the uh, hay shed and gave her a peck on the cheek, and uh, uh, as a result, not only was he sacked, but the school was closed. And this from a, a future
2: clergyman was a, there's a bit of a, a, a scandal already, but I mean, also then there's this other side to Patrick. He was a poet, and you've brought in one of his uh, or a collection of some of his poems. Um, so a,
3: a literary background himself. He loved writing. When he was uh, going to university, he couldn't decide whether or not to go into the church or to become a writer. So he'd been writing poetry as a teenager well before he uh, was prepared for the examination to get into St John's College at Cambridge. Any good as a poet, do you think? He, he, I'd say he was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but he had literary
2: ambitions, shall we say. He wrote
3: a novel, uh, The Maid of Killarney. He wrote a novel as well. Mm. So, But what prompted your interest? In Patrick, then Um Well in nineteen eighty, uh, my wife and I were living in the UK and we went to visit uh my Welsh cousin and he and his wife were living in Yorkshire, in Cullingworth. And they said, What would you like to do? And I said, I'll go anywhere you tell me And they said, Well, the next village is Howarth. Would you like to go up to Howarth? Oh, that sounds okay. Uh and that was in nineteen eighty, and I've been back again and I Well, everybody knows about the Brontes, but the the father was the one that got to me. I mean, what a life. Well, what a
2: life indeed. I mean, there were other achievements, uh, clean water supply for the village. I mean, you've got uh, the notion of him uh, supporting somebody who'd been um, wrongly convicted and such like. But let's flip the coin for a minute. I mean, as you say, "Cassock savage was a term somebody else applied. Elizabeth Gaskell then, who was uh, an author of that time, became a confidant of Charlotte Bronte. And her comment, uh, basically, he ought never to have married. He did not like children. So Patrick's getting a lot
3: of bad press, which is the sort of perceived wisdom about the bloke. Mm. That didn't come until much later in his life. Um, He buried all his children. He buried his wife and his sister-in-law, who became a stepmother. And there were six children. There were six children. When I say he buried them all, Anne said to Charlotte, her older sister, I don't want Papa to bury another of his children, so she went to Scarborough and died there. Um, so he buried all his children uh, except for Charlotte and um, he wanted to, after she died, he wanted to her reputation to live on. So he asked, he requested of Elizabeth Gaskell if she would write a biography of his daughter and that was the beginning of the slurs against his good name. And yet... He worked
2: with Elizabeth on this biography.
3: Um, perhaps he didn't work with her, but he certainly gave her uh, material. He gave her letters that Charlotte had written and uh, scraps of uh, information. Charlotte's husband did not want to give Mrs Gaskell anything, and there was conflict, therefore, between the, the, f- the father and the father-in-law.
2: Well, here we go, because, I mean, Charlotte's husband, Arthur Nichols, was a, a, a clergyman himself who had supported um and worked with Patrick but Patrick objected to vehemently to the marriage i mean this is the other side we're getting of of Patrick yeah. here
3: Well, they say that in fiction, uh, characters who are perfect are really boring. You should have some faults to them. And I don't think... Well, Patrick, everyone has a million faults, but his real major fault came out later in life when his daughter came to him and said, uh, Mr Nichols has uh, asked me to be his wife, and Patrick exploded. And this was at a time when Charlotte had become famous. She was a, a literary superstar. And Patrick's... Look, we could argue for a long time about why he took this attitude... Uh, But his classic line was, why would you want to marry an impoverished Irish priest? And she said, what about you? Um, He objected for lots of reasons. It was the last child. He worried that as she was in her late 30s, if she got pregnant, would she have trouble, which she did. Uh, He didn't want to lose his last child, all of those sorts of things. To his credit... He came around and in the end he uh, he accepted and of course after Charlotte died he lived with his son-in-law for about another seven years and they got on famously. Hmm. But here's the other interesting thing, because when you read this book and
2: the opening goes back to the sort of foundation of the family where uh, a, a, a waif, a Welsh, is basically, well, adopted? I don't know if that's the right He term. was adopted. Um,
3: Officially adopted or just taken into the family? Well, when they landed um, at uh, Drogheda in Ireland, they were to take it to the Foundling Hospital in Dublin, which was 30 miles away, and uh, the father said, oh, this is Hugh Brunty. Oh, that's too far away. We'll just take Mm. him home. And they just kept him. So Hugh Brunty names him Welsh, takes him in, and that child eventually does what? Uh, He becomes an absolute rotter. Uh, He he takes over the family farm. Uh, He had... um, three we'll call them stepbrothers uh, and two stepsisters there were five children in that family he took over the family farm and then he basically kidnapped one of his stepbrother's sons also called Hugh Bronte who was the father of Patrick Bronte but now here's the go this is the opening of Wuthering
2: Heights where Heathcliff has been uh, sort of taken on board Emily has co-opted the family story, hmm. which is interesting. But now, taking it that a step further, the description, and Jane Eyre, uh, Charlotte's book, also uh, documents or has a family tri- link or it's it's almost a, a fictional version of her own life. If Can we take those fictional accounts as evidence of the lives they were leading, in which case
3: there's a bit of dysfunction there? There's a lot of dysfunction there. <laughs> I mean, Elizabeth Gaskell was a good friend of Charles Dickens. She, uh, it was who termed the term "something" is Dickensy, and of course she would have known about Great Expectations and the and um, Nicholas Nickleby and the the horrors of Victorian life, uh, and that was revisited, of course, in the school that sh- well, that the Charlotte went to. Cowan Ridge School became Lowell School. Yeah and in Jane Eyre. But you see, there, there we go again. I mean, Patrick has sent his children
2: to the school and one virtually, well, not virtually, does die of starvation uh, amongst other things and pneumonia. And two. Two. Mm. die. So how could Patrick not be aware? Is this me applying, um, you know, 20th century perspective to something that would have happened?
3: Well, the headmaster was a fellow clergyman, and it was a school for the daughters of clergymen. And the, the headmaster, uh, Reverend Caris Wilson, had an excellent reputation, even if he was a, um, a God-thundering-from-the-pulpit type priest. Um, so Patrick was completely uh, oblivious to what was going on. Uh, it was only when the first daughter, they sent a message. Of course, no telephones or anything in those mm. days, so he had to rush across to Lancashire. Uh, Your daughter is unwell, and then she was skin and bone. Carried her home and she died, and then no sooner had she died, then they turned up with another one. They saved him a trip. They brought the second one as well. So
2: this is Elizabeth and Maria. That's Maria um, and Elizabeth, Well, in that order, yeah, Maria um, and Elizabeth, in that order. So, well, then Patrick then
3: taught his own. He withdrew yeah. uh, the other girls. The, all three girls were then at the school. He withdrew them. And with his only son, he then educated them at home. It became yeah. Fortress Howarth, so College how Howarth. So how
2: much criticism can we level at Patrick then for
3: the deaths of his daughters? <sighs> the first two daughters, shall we say. <laughs> uh, well, should he have gone there and um, checked up on them every week to see that they were being well fed, that the, the dormitories weren't freezing, yeah. that they weren't being fed... Um, food that was bad, um, that they were forced to walk two miles through fields in the rain mm. to, to stay in a freezing church for four hours and listen to God-bothering sermons. It does should wonders he have,
2: for the character. <laughs> should, should, he
3: have, should he have known about those things? Well, yes, I suppose you could say he could, but mm. uh, yeah. you're trusting a fellow clergyman, surely. Oh, very dangerous <laughs> mm. thing to mm. do.
2: Uh, so this is where the controversy lies, that perceived wisdom, the attitudes we're applying from today... Uh, And yet what his achievements were. But then you've got virtually that that horror of um, having buried his wife, who died of uterine cancer, and all of his six children, including Branwell, who's an interesting case, alcoholic... um, Drug addict. Drug addict. What... Well, is that, again, the perceived wisdom, his father drove him to it sort of thing, but
3: was it just his temperament? Oh, uh, that's, that's too difficult. My theory on it is that the, in the National Gallery in London there is the portrait, the famous portrait of the Brontes painted by Branwell and he's painted himself out. So there are the three girls and second from the left there's just a big streak of green where he's just painted himself out. My theory is that he could not handle the competition and that he fell into drink and drugs and that because he was a failure. He failed at so many things. He failed. His father pushed him to go to the Royal Academy didn't want to go. He, his interest was in art. He goes to London. He walks the streets, does, does a bit of drinking and comes home. He didn't even enrol. He was a failure. He got a job on the railway and he was accused of stealing. He, he was a failure. He got a job as a tutor uh, with a wealthy family and that became a later scandal when the wife in the family supposedly seduced him and that became The Graduate with Anne Bancroft <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what we call it today. <laughs> Patrick Brunt no, is
2: responsible yeah. for The Graduate. So my, so my, my yeah. theory
3: is that the, the son couldn't stand the competition from the sisters who were so talented. And they actually were better artists. Charlotte, I think, was a better artist than, than ah, Branwalk. That's my theory. Right. Well, look, just finally then, this is going... Um, this has
2: actually come from a play you wrote, or... The source, in many ways,
3: or what came first, was a play you wrote called Saucy Pat. Saucy You're not Saucy doing Pat? him
2: any favours with these titles. Well,
3: he, he, he was courting his uh, wife, uh, Mar- Mariah Branwell, and they used to write to one another, and she wrote to, once he stole a kiss, he gave her a peck on the cheek, and she wrote to him as, My dear Saucy Pat. And so that became the title of the play. <laughs> now, transferring from play to narrative, yeah, it, it was easy in some ways and difficult in the others. The play starts when he's born, whereas the novel starts With 100, the 100 years beforehand. His great-grandfather, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it goes way, way back. And you delve into it in a lot more detail in the novel. And mm-hmm. you're actually uh, putting on Saucy Pat. Yes. When, where, how? Well, uh, I've done two tours already. Um, I perform as a, an Anglican priest, a contemporary Anglican priest, who's written a book about famous former Anglican priests and... Patrick Bronte is the is the one I talk about. Um, it starts in May. And it goes May, June, July. So, um, if uh, any churches or theatre companies are interested, I'd be happy to come and perform for them. Perform uh, a play about
2: Patrick Brontë. I don't know how much we've contributed to the literary scandal. It will go on beyond this radio show. Oh well, I've learned a lot. But Kenneth, thank you for coming in today. Pleasure. Uh, the book is Cassocked Savage: The Life of Patrick Brontë, and it's self-published. It is indeed.
1: And, of course, I was speaking with a, an author who's written a book about a detective writer who's written a book about a detective writer. So we, we, we're sandwiched <laughs> here. And the person I've been speaking with today, Tanya, Tanya Chander, and her book, Dead in the Water. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Chan. Thank you, Kenneth. You, Ken. Thank you. you. Well, S- listen m- in next week. Next week. week. Well, bye.